My spooky house is a haunted place in Sydney's inner west, but there are other houses and other places where spirits have roamed for centuries, thousands of years. I'll be covering some of these spooky sites in the ongoing My Spooky House podcast. station sits at the end of North Head. While it is close to Manly, it feels far from civilization. That's what we felt as we climbed the suburban streets in the courtesy bus out of the beachside enclave of Manly, the Insula Peninsula as it is known by Sydney Siders, and barreled along the straight road across the heathland towards the site. I imagined as we went that this is what the many temporary residents and nursing staff that came and went during the life of the station must have felt, windswept and alone. North Head itself is a strange mix of cultural and historical clashes. As well as the quarantine station, it is home to a large graveyard where a hundred-year-old tombstones gently lean amongst the clumps of salt bush. In North Fort, a collection of tunnels and mighty gun emplacements that helped defend Sydney against attack in the Second World War, now gently mouldering. Army buildings line the road to the Q station. More importantly, North Head is an ancient Aboriginal site for the practices of spiritual and physical healing, a real place of significance. As a result, the entire site has a solemn presence about it and it may explain some of the things that we encountered later on. The quarantine station was used to quarantine passengers from incoming vessels when concerns were raised that the vessel may be harbouring disease. Ailments that the unfortunate nursing staff at the site had to deal with included smallpox, typhus fever, measles and influenza. The quarantining did not only apply to those that were sick on board, Due to the incubation period of certain diseases, all passengers from a stricken vessel would be condemned to spend weeks on the lonely peninsula before being passed as fit to enter Sydney society. Accommodation at the quarantine station comprised first, second class and third class accommodation, which adhered to the comforts you may expect at each level. First-class residents enjoyed commodious private rooms at the top of the site where the air was fresh with a catered dining hall, while those in steerage were housed in crowded dormitories with outside kitchen huts and regular fights. The site was used between 1832 until 1984. Kew Station, as it is now known, is a luxury hotel complex my husband and I went there in 2017 for a weekend away to celebrate our first wedding anniversary. However, 
the weekend was notable for a whole lot more. We checked into our accommodation on a blustery sunny afternoon and went exploring. We ended up at the hospital complex, a particularly isolated collection of long, low, yellow weatherboard buildings, the southwestern tip of the site. They overlooked the dock and the lovely beach. We walked around, crunching on the gravel as we went. We walked between the buildings on the weatherboard walkways. We walked alongside the wards, where the big windows provided us with a great view of what was inside. Suddenly something caught my eye through the window. Someone is dressed up as a nurse, I exclaimed to my husband, as an authoritative looking figure in a white outfit and white close-fitting cap moved across the ward. But when I actually turned to face the room, and he looked too, the ward was empty, and its pink walls and orderly hospital beds were all that was there. Later we found out that this nurse may have been Annie Egan, who died of Spanish flu at the site in 1918, and who still roams the halls in a shift that never ends. We paid our respects at the windswept cemetery the next day. We'd booked on a ghost tour that night, and being close to Halloween, the queue station staff had pulled out all the stops, opening up closed off parts of the site, dressing up and creating themed experiences to excite and engage the tourists. We both felt that the charged atmosphere of happy thrill-seekers and staff in period costume would help stimulate some spectral activity. The tour started out in a couple of big sheds near the quayside at the bottom of the site. After showing us into one of the sheds, the guide asked us to stand in the darkness to see what we might see or sense. We all pressed back against the walls, none of us keen to be standing in the middle. After a few shrieks and laughs, everyone settled down. As our eyes got used to the darkness, a mutter of exclamation went round to the group. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a small dark shadow sprint across the middle of the room, but it was gone as soon as I glimpsed it. When the door reopened, we chatted about our experiences with the guide. It was true that the ghost of a small boy was said to haunt that area, and perhaps, more sinisterly, a man dressed as a soldier had also been standing at the back corner of the shed. This may have explained the oppressive watching presence that many of us sensed. Later, we went up through the site and hit the hospital. While no activity was recorded by us in the ward that night, the nurses' quarters presented a different experience entirely. If you think about it, the fear that the doctors and nurses must have felt not knowing if they might succumb to the ailments afflicting those they were caring for must have generated a particular negative energy within the quarters. I also felt that there was a more ancient negative energy there as well. We stepped into the long, low, orange weatherboard building and went into one of the nurses' rooms. There was three old beds and a chair there, all stripped down with just the mattresses. Sitting on one bed with one or two others, we were overcome with a sense of darkness and dread. There's clearly something evil lurking about this place. Within a couple of minutes of us sensing this feeling, one of the girls with us, who was lying on the mattress, let out a yelp. She said she suddenly had a flash of people around the bed and a medical procedure underway. She'd seen the drip going into her arm and seen the blood coming from her leg. We all wanted out after that. We left the building. I strongly sensed that the darkness that lay within its walls had actually left with us. We went on to the usual places, the shower stalls and the morgue. But the biggest shock of the night 
apart from the nurses' quarters, was Gravedigger's cottage. A whitewashed, timber-framed cottage halfway across the site, close to the second-class accommodation and directly above the old graveyard. Now this place was terrifying and walking into the front room we were almost physically pushed back by an unseen force. There were a mix of energies in the place, an angry man and another man who seemed strong and silent and one might think that it was the angry man that was the problem but as our, as our tour guide explained when we asked her what was going on the angry man had been potentially murdered by the other man and it was him that was evil and they were both kept there in perpetuity, locked into a constant cycle of their crime. In the back bathroom, there was also a woman who one man, possibly both men, had murdered. We didn't pick up on her. We went into the first bedroom. It opened straight off the lounge. It was the silent man's room, and it presented us with a chilling and unsettling vibe. We quickly left that room and went into the angry man's room further along the corridor to the side of the lounge. The atmosphere was just very sad. The guide told us to watch the wardrobe in the corner of the room, and as if by magic, the door slowly started to open. Transfixed, one of our party went and closed the door, remarking as they did so that they felt it to be a struggle. It was almost as if somebody was inside, pushing against them. The next morning, we went back to the site, and rather stupidly, in retrospect, I thought I'd try and help this unhappy trio. I sat on the back steps of Gravedigger's cottage and attempted to psychically clear it and move the protagonists on. I was there for a while, repeating words and phrases, but instead of dissipating, the same darkness we'd uncovered in the nurse's quarter came at me and settled on my shoulders. It was clearly telling me to back off. It seemed to come from an ancient and dark place, perhaps predating white settlement and certainly having grown more powerful from the decades of suffering around it. We left the place and went to the other parts of North Head. We spent an afternoon at the graveyard and the gun emplacements and had a nice meal at the restaurant on the site. I thought no more about it until the evening when we were walking back to our hotel room up a very, very long flight of steps from the bottom of the site to the top in the first class quarters. I felt that sick, dark, malevolent force again. I stamped my feet on the earth and tried to clear the energy from around me, but it did not shift. Back in our room, we switched off the light and tried to get to sleep, but it was not possible. Unlike the previous night where we had slept soundly, there was constant movement and sound from the ceiling space above our bed, and I felt the weight of the gaze of something utterly dark and unspeakable from the beams that came across the roof. It wanted us to leave. After a sleepless night, we checked out early, and it was only when we finally stepped onto the deck of the Manly Ferry, and the ferry moved slowly out of the dock, that it shifted. Looking up at the jolly-coloured buildings on the headland as we went on our way, it looked like a peaceful scene. But after that evil dark presence, I now have no desire to head back. <laughs>